so many of us, all we know is what our pastors have taught us. You're responsible to go and dig. You're responsible to go and get your own manna from God. All right? You are. You, you, you just don't take what I say or anyone else says. You go get your own manna. And if there's anything I want to do, it's, it's inspire you. It's challenge you to discipline yourself, to get your own manna every single day. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. This quote by a former Yale president sounds like a meme that you'd find on Eric Barbie's Facebook wall. This is, this is what that <clears throat> Yale president once said. He said, whenever I feel like exercising, I lie down until the feeling passes. <laughs> you know, many people, maybe most people in the world don't want to exercise because exercising, they try it and they find it really, really hard. An older couple decided they were going to try to exercise, and they they lived out in the country, and they decided they were going to walk one mile out from their house and one mile back, uh, just to get kind of get in shape. And uh, so on their first venture out, they got to the the one-mile mark, and uh, the husband said to the wife, he said, do you think you can make it back? Are you all right? Are you too tired? And she goes, oh, no, no, I'm not tired. I can make it fine. He said, good. I'll wait here. Go get the car and come and get me. (laughs) So... I know you know this, and, uh, and you probably believe it, but exercising is actually beneficial for us all. It's profitable. According to a bunch of researchers at the University of Michigan, a, a program of good exercise may help a person fight off colds and infection. So all you folks sick with respiratory issues and COVID, you need to exercise more. The, the theory is that a good workout puts the body in a condition similar to what happens at the onset of a fever. And that's not bad. Most biologists are of the opinion that a fever is our body's way of fighting those micro-intruders that have come into our body. Our system warms up. It, it makes our white blood cell count work better, and it causes uh, those viruses and bacterial bugs to, uh, to lose some of their ability. So most everybody believes that exercise does the same thing as, uh, as a fever, and so it's good for us. We all know it's good for our circulatory system and for our heart. But the Bible says of physical, of physical exercise that it's only of limited profit. You know, the mother went into uh, her son's bedroom. He had a makeshift gym there, and he had some weights, and he was pumping iron, right? He was doing his workouts, a couple of hundred pounds. It was really heavy. And uh, she looked at him and she said, why is it that you can lift nearly 200 pounds, but you can't pick your clothes up off the floor? (laughs) See, here's the issue. Bodily discipline helped the young man with his bodily health, but it didn't change his character. It didn't make him more responsible. It didn't make him less selfish. So on this New Year's Eve, I want to challenge myself first and foremost, but I want to challenge all of us with some remarks that Paul made to his protege, Timothy. And here's what he said. This is going to be very familiar to to most of us. But here's what he said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, this is 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness 
For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, there's a, there's a great deal of speculation about what the silly myths were and the pointless myths were that they were conjecturing over. But here's the point that Paul is making. He's saying to Timothy, he said, Timothy, some things are simply not worth us spending time speculating over them or imagining uh, these things. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I tried to think what that might look like in our day and age, right? What, what, what are some of the things that we speculate on and spend lots of time imagining that really are pointless? And here's the one thing that I came up with. It's people spending time conjecturing and guessing how current events match up with things that they see in, in the Scripture. And the truth is, this is just my opinion, they've never been close you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s now, so I've been listening to this for 60, for 40 years. And, and people conjecture about how this is that, but it never, doesn't seem to me, and maybe I'm, I'm using superlatives that are like never, but I've never seen it really come to pass where some of the things they conjecture in, in, in present day life is what they say was happening in the scripture. And if you search YouTube, if you want to do this, Search YouTube and, and, and ask about the Hamas-Israel war now. And you will find YouTube after YouTube telling us that the second coming is here because Hamas and Israel are at war now. And, uh, and you know, and you'll find, listen to this, you'll find lots of videos like that. And you will find literally thousands of likes on those videos where people are watching them, and, and they're, I guess, by a like, agreeing with all that conjecture. Now, I'm not meaning to necessarily impugn all of these ministries who do that, but I have heard from people in ministries who have gotten out of them have said, we used all of those kind of things to, to incite a, a, a spirit of fear, a spirit of whatever, so that people would give us money. So we would use those sort of things to exploit that. And I'm not saying everybody's doing that. I'm simply saying that Paul says to Timothy, don't waste your time on speculative things that we can't really figure out. And I think that comes close to, in our day, what we might do. Instead, he says to him, train yourself for godliness. Now, so that we all know what godliness is. Godliness is this. It's being like God. It's being like the Lord Jesus. So here's what Paul says. Timothy, train yourself to be like Jesus. Now, your translation may say, discipline yourself to be like Jesus. In other words, don't spend your time conjecturing over all these things that we have no idea exactly what they are or what they mean in relationship to Scripture. Instead, invest your time in becoming like Jesus. Discipline yourself to become like God. And then he uses this comparison between physical training to make his point. And he says, you know, investing in physical training is of some value. We already talked about that. It is of some value. He says, but you need to invest yourself in spiritual training because physical training has some value for right now, but spiritual training for godliness, it holds promise not just for the life now. In other words, it will make you more like God now. It'll make you more like Jesus now. And that has value in this life. But it will make you more like Jesus, and that has value for the life to come. Now, 
Um, some of you old codgers will remember the tagline from this commercial on the National Enquirer. You remember this National Enquirer? It's a, it's a tabloid. It's a grocery store tabloid, right? And, and the tagline was always this. I don't think it's around anymore. If it is, I don't hear the tagline anymore. But it's inquiring minds want to know, right? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. There are not many inquiring minds as to what the benefit in the life to come is from being godly now. In other words, I researched it. I mean, I looked on the net. I mean, I looked everywhere I could. I read commentaries. You know, Paul says, hey, listen, training yourself for godliness is more valuable than physical training because physical training affects you now, all right? But no matter, you know, it's just for now. No matter how fit you are, you're going to die. You can't, you can't train yourself to not die, right? So it's, it's, it's good for you now. But spiritual training is good for you now and then. So how is it good for us then? You got any ideas, right? Well, I, I asked myself that question. I thought, what do other people say? Nobody comments on it. Nobody answers the question. At least I couldn't find anybody saying, this is how training yourself for godliness will affect you in the life to come. Is it going to be rewards in the new life or in the new age? Is it going to be a position in the new age? Man, those things sound mercenary to me. But, but, but Paul says, hey, Godliness in this life is good, and godliness now affects your life uh, to come. Although I can't figure out exactly what that might be, uh, I, I definitely know that's true. So this morning, here we are on the cusp of 2024, and I want to challenge you this morning to four spiritual disciplines that I believe that if you will take these into your life, then, then you will be more like God in 2024. You'll be more like Jesus if you practice these disciplines to grow in godliness. Now, from the onset, I want you to hear me. I'm not going to say anything that I, I bet you every one of you will know what, what I'm going to say, you'll say, yeah, I know that. I know that. It's like, a, it's like I'm trying to get you to go to the gym and I'm explaining to you what the treadmill is. Or I'm explaining to you what the elliptical machine is or the weight bench or whatever. I mean, I'm not going to be describing anything that you don't know what it is. My goal might be to inspire you to go get physically fit. Well, that's my goal this morning. It's not necessarily to give you any new information. My goal this morning is to inspire you. It's to motivate you. It's, uh, I've been, and, and listen, it's not my words alone. I have been praying all this week that God will take my words and he by his spirit will do something in my heart and in your heart to want to apply these disciplines to our lives. So here they are, four disciplines to help you become spiritually godly in the, in the, in the year to come. Here's the first one. This first discipline is reading and understanding and applying God's word to your life. And if I'm honest, I think this, if I'm, I mean, honest is not the right word. I think this is the most important of all the disciplines. I mean, if you can rank them, maybe you can't rank them. But I think this is the most important of all the disciplines for you to grow in godliness in this next year. It is going to be you reading and understanding and applying God's word to your life. There is no growing. Listen. I don't care what the progressives say. There is no growing in godliness apart from God's word. There's not. Now, I'm told that a bodybuilder eats six 
protein-laced meals a day. Because bodybuilding, physical fitness, begins with the right food. It begins with what you eat. I think one of the reasons why we Americans are so fat, I include myself in that, uh, and so out of shape, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but maybe the primary reason is we eat so much processed food that's terrible for us, that's easy and it tastes really good, but it actually, it, it's actually harmful to our bodies, right? So I say that to say this, right? If we don't eat spiritual food from God, then it's going to affect our lives negatively. And so we have to partake of God's word metaphorically and eat of God's word, if you would, metaphorically. We've got to eat of God's word spiritually to grow, just like I have to eat good food in the physical realm to be healthy. When Jesus was tempted by the adversary out there in the wilderness, you remember he answered Satan four or three times with the word of God. But the first time he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's my paraphrase, but it's pretty close. Now, Jesus is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy chapter eight. Here's the exact quote. Moses is talking to the people of Israel and he says, yes, God humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, he, he said ultimately what we need is not physical manna. He said ultimately what we need is God's word because God can do anything with his word. God feeds us with his word is what Moses told the people of Israel. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying to us. Yeah, you need bread, but you don't live by bread alone. You live by the words of God. And I don't know that we can draw a one-on-one comparison here, but you know when, when God provided manna to Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus took that manna and that episode and he said to the people, I am the bread of God. In other words, just like God fed them with manna in the Old Testament, I am the word of God. And I don't know that we can draw a one-on-one comparison between the manna and Jesus as the word of God or his words as the word of God recorded for us in our Bible. I don't know that we can draw a one-on-one comparison, but I do want to do this. I want to go to the manna of the Old Testament and draw out two principles. And I want to tell you, I think they apply to Jesus as the manna of God, the spiritual bread of life. Here's the two principles. Here's the first one. Um, in the Old Testament, when the manna fell, you know, if you remember the story, they're, they're hungry. They don't have any food. God rains down every night this bread that he called manna. Every night it would, it would rain down manna from heaven and, and from, from the sky, that heaven. And, uh, and, and in the morning, they'd go pick up this stuff. And they would eat it. And evidently had a lot of, evidently God made it with nutritional value. And this is how they lived. And here was the principle. Every day, you had to go pick your own manna. So Jonathan, you had to go get your own manna. You couldn't get manna for Dietrich, right? You couldn't get a day for Karen. Karen couldn't get it for you. You had to get your own manna. I'm assuming, I I don't, that's the way it reads, is that every one of us had to grab our own manna, right? And so I want to take that principle and I want to say about the word of God, it's the same way. You have to gather your own manna. You have to gather your own manna from God. You, you have to get it for yourself, right? 
You, you can't just depend on everybody else collecting manna and somehow you eating that manna. You need to gather it for yourself every day. They say that the Muslims know only what their imam have ta- has taught them. In other words, they don't gather manna for themselves. They go and the imam has gathered manna and he, and he tells them, this is, what, this is what you need to believe, this is what's true, etc. And they believe whatever the imam has said. Here, folks, listen, I, that is not how it should be here. It is not how it should be in the body of Christ. But I tell you what, I think this is true for us as Christians too. So many of us, all we know is what our pastors have taught us. Because now we're not, and, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that you can't learn from others, but I'm saying you're responsible to go and dig. You're responsible to go and get your own manna from God. All right? You are. You, you, you just don't take what I say or anyone else says. You go get your own manna. And if there's anything I want to do, it's, it's inspire you. It's challenge you to discipline yourself, to get your own manna every single day. Okay? You had to get your own. Now, here, I just bled into the second principle. Um, their manna was only good for one day. In other words, you go out and gather manna, and, and God said, it's only good for one day, except on Friday, you could gather for the Sabbath, so you could gather two days. And, but all the other days, you just had to gather manna every single day. If you gathered Monday for Tuesday, when you woke up Tuesday morning, the manna that you'd save from Monday night would be filled with worms, and it would stink. Exodus 16, 15 to 20. And, and so here God made it, God made it so that you, you had to depend on Him every single day to get your manna. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know that I can make this one-on-one comparison. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm using it like a metaphor, an illustration. Maybe it's not even true. But I think you have to get your own manna every single day. Not, in other words, the manna from last week is not good enough for, for this coming week. I need to gather my spiritual food for godliness every single day. Da- daily, I must do this. And I think that's why Jesus was pointing them to the manna when he said, I am the bread of life. I think he's trying to, he's trying to point them to these principles. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to shame you here. I promise you I am not. There is no shame in this message. I am not trying to shame you. But I am trying to challenge you to take a different approach. And you know what is kind of sad? I'll bet you there's some of you sitting here today or maybe watching on the live stream because there's so many people in our church that aren't here today because of sickness. And you're probably watching on the live stream. So whether you're at home or you're here, I'll bet you there's some people that didn't crack their Bible since last week. Didn't open your Bible. You didn't go to get manna from the Word of God for yourself. You took what, what Jamie said last week or Micah said last Sunday night and, and, you know, and, and, you haven't, and you haven't gone to the Word of God for yourself. Discipline yourself for godliness means a daily intake of God's Word, His spiritual nourishment for your soul. A French poet once said that a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? So listen, if you're sitting here and saying, yeah, this is good, I need to do that. And the Spirit of God is, is, is convicting you and prompting you. And your inner self is saying, yeah, man, I want to do that. A goal without a plan is just wishful thinking. So here, let, let me kind of give you a, a plan. Here's my fourfold plan for you, okay? Decide this morning where you're sitting 
that you're going to do this, that you're going to intake the Bible every day. You're going to take from God's Word every day for yourself. Doesn't mean you can't read other guys helping you understand what you're reading. That's good. Can't li- you can listen to other guys. That's all good. But you're going to spend time yourself every day in the Word of God. Second, choose a Bible reading plan. Now, in the bulletin is is the plan that Michael, Pastor Michael, uses with the Bible Project. A lot of you used it last week, and uh, and uh, and you found it helpful. There was a lot of folks that were. I turned off my iPad. Sorry. A lot of people were were using it last week in writing. There was a lot of energy in it, and so there's there's that plan that you can use that's in the bulletin there. But listen, if you've never been reading your Bible, to jump to that plan, that might be a little bit hard for you. So if you don't want, if you want just a smaller thing, and, and, and maybe easier for it, just get your Bible out and read a chapter a day. Start in the New Testament. Don't go to Genesis. Start in the New Testament and just read a chapter a day. Something really simple like that. You don't have to make this complicated. But here's the point. Make a reading plan for yourself. Something that you will do. Whatever it is. Something you will do. Number three, consider keeping a notebook handy and writing down what you're eating. What I mean by that, and again, I'm, I'm obviously speaking metaphorically, take a notebook. Listen, listen, I really am asking you to consider this, to discipline yourself for godliness, and I'm giving you a plan. Take a notebook, just any notebook. Write the day, Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Start in one of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 1. Read the chapter. God, what are you saying to me? And then write down what you're saying. Right? Write down what God says to you. And somebody once asked me, I mean, I, I've got journal after journal. I haven't journaled in a while. But I'm, I'm, God has really said to me, Jimmy, discipline yourself for God. And this means journaling again. And, and, and I'm going to start journaling again. But, um, and by the way, I've started several times and have not continued. I got something to say about that at the very end of this, but um, oh, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Just just write a sentence down. Uh, oh, and somebody asked me, do you ever go back and read your journals? That's somebody asked me that the other day. And the answer is, every once in a while I'll sit down and maybe peruse them, but by and large, no. I, I'm not really reading my journal. But I, let me tell you how this journal could change our church family. So some of you are involved in a home group. And at the home group that meets at my house, we, we have dinner together, and then we're sitting around the table, and kind of before we do anything else, I say, hey guys, did God show you anything this week? Did you learn anything from God's Word this week? And here's what normally happens. And, I, and, I, and that's me too, right? And it's not that, that God didn't speak to us, it's we just don't remember. But you know, if you had your journal with you, and I say, hey, did God show you anything this week? You can take your journal real quickly and just peruse the pages and say, man, here's something God showed me on Tuesday as I was reading. There's all kinds of ways we could do this. But, and the fourth thing I want to challenge you to is to memorize God's word. And we've all been taught this since we were kids. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we've all been taught that we should memorize God's, God's word. And uh, we should be like the cow who chews its cud, right? Remember that? 
You know what the cow does? He chews a bunch of grass, swallows it in his first stomach, and then brings it up, chews on it some more, swallows it in his second stomach or her second. I don't know how many stomachs cows have, but it's a lot. And they keep chewing it up. That's what memorization does for us. It lets you bring up the Word of God in your mind and think about it. And, and so in your bulletin, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a scripture memory verse down here at the bottom. And here's what I, 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 wanna, I want you to consider. I want you to consider joining me in memorizing that verse every week. Now, if you've got your own Bible memorization plan that you're doing, by all means, do not memorize this verse. You just keep on doing what you're doing. Do not change it. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you don't memorize Scripture, I'm challenging you to join me in memorizing that verse. Not very big, not very long. We made it so that you can take your scissors and cut your bulletin and have that piece of paper and put it in your pocket and carry it all week long. But I want to encourage you to join me in memorizing uh, that verse. Physical discipline. People don't do it because it's hard. It's hard work. Spiritual discipline for godliness is hard work, and it's the reason we don't do it, because it's so hard. Scripture memorization is hard. You've got to work on it. Will you discipline yourself for godliness? All right, that brings me to my second discipline. These others will go faster than that one. The second spiritual discipline I'm calling prayer. I'm calling talking to God. And I've told, I've made mention of this many, many times, but Jesus got up early in the morning before anybody else, and the Bible tells us he went out to talk to God, right? He went out to pray. And, and so he's our example. When it comes to prayer as talking to God as a means of asking him for things, right? I'm, I'm still uncertain how that works. I've talked about that an awful lot, right? Of this I am certain, God hears me every time. Of this I am certain that God does answer me uh, at times, in the affirmative, even if it means having to violate his natural laws, God at times answers me in the affirmative. He encourages us to ask, okay? But listen to what I'm going to say next. But unfortunately, for, for many of us, if not all of us, or not, I don't say it, many of us, if not, if many of us, prayer is nothing more than a laundry list of our request of God. That's all, our prayer, that's all our prayer is. We pull out our notebook and we pray for this person and that person and this person and that person. And, 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 and if, you, if you think I am saying something bad about that, I, I'm not trying to say something bad about that. But I'm trying to say that the real heart of prayer is more about my relationship with God than it is about giving him my laundry list of things that I want him to do for me, right? Or things I want him to do for you or someone else. It's more, it's more about the desire I have for just being in his presence and spending time with him. It, it, I, I'd say prayer is more like us hanging out. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's just when you hang out with someone you love and you guys just spend time together, I mean, you're, you're growing in that relationship. It's, 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 you're becoming closer. Well, I mean, I think that's what prayer is for us, Right? Uh, we're, we're just to hand. We're just to hang out with the Lord, spend time with Him. So I know you might be asking if you're following and tracking with me. Maybe you're asking this question. Well, if that's true, how do I pray without a laundry list, right? Well, here's how you do it: you get out your Bible and you read a passage of the Scripture, and then you pray from that Scripture. And, and I'm going to illustrate that with something I, I've done numerous times. Uh, you remember the disciples' prayer that Jesus gave us um, when they said, teach us to prayer? And he said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't you bow your heads and I'm going to pray. And I'm, going to, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about when it comes to praying the scripture. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I just want to thank you this morning that you are my father. That you love me like a dad. I want to thank you, Lord, that you treat me like a son. I want to thank you that you care for me like my father. I want to thank you that as my dad, you're always there for me. You're always meeting my needs. I want to thank you, God, that you could have just been some deity out there who just created me and didn't care about me. But that's not true. Lord, you care about me. You care about me personally and all my and all my desires, all my wants. You know my struggles. Holy be your name. Lord, I really want your name to be exalted in the earth. And I really want me to be the I want to be one that exalts your name. Lord, help me not to do things that would destroy your name or that would bring your name down. Lord, help me not to do that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to thank you this morning that, uh, that your will is always done in heaven. That God, you're, you, what, what you desire, what you, what you want is always done in heaven. And that's what you desire for earth. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given me an opportunity to demonstrate that. What it's like to live according to your will here on earth. Thank you for giving me that privilege. Help me to do that. Lord, I confess that sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I don't want to do that. And, and I want to do my thing. Lord, help me to choose to do your thing. Help, help me, Lord, to demonstrate what it's like to do your will. And I thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've made that one day your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I thank you this morning you provided me with a job. Lord, thank you for my church family that provides for Anne and myself. Lord, thank you for... Um, you know, Lord, you've given me such an abundance. Lord, teach me how to share my bread with others. Teach me how to be generous, Lord, with what you've provided for me. Help me to recognize I'm a steward of the bread you've given me, you know. And it's not just for me to spend on myself the way I want. Lord, help me to listen to your voice always. Amen. I could go on and on. But you see what I, you see what I did? I just took the words from Scripture. And then I would pray that back to the Lord. I'm telling you, apart from that, you know, spending time with the Lord in prayer just kind of becomes hard. Your mind wanders, you're, you know, you, you kind of revert back to the laundry list of bless the missionaries and bless this person, bless that person. On Sunday mornings when we're praying at eight o'clock, this is how we always begin. We begin by reading scripture and then praying from that scripture. I want to encourage you to discipline yourself for the purpose of prayer. You know, you can go through your whole day talking to God, and you should. When you're in your car, when you're, when you're anywhere, talk to God out loud. Uh, my wife has encouraged me not to talk to God out loud in front of others, but um, you can talk to God out loud in front of others if you want, right? Um, I, I think it's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So when something good happens in your life, why not just say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for that gift. Maybe God, maybe God didn't specifically zap that to come your way, but every good gift comes from him. So why not thank him for it, right? So talk to him all throughout the day. But discipline yourself to set aside a time where you and him can hang out. And you can talk to him and you can read from his word and let him speak to you. Let him dis discipline yourself so he'll change your life. Number three, the third discipline is to gather together with other believers for mutual encouragement. 
Acts chapter 2, after Jesus returned back to heaven, he sent the Spirit uh, into their lives. It was going to be a comfort. He was going to comfort them. He was going to help them. Here's what it says concerning what they did after Jesus left. He said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together. They met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. From the beginning, God's people said, we need to discipline ourselves to be together. And they did. In fact, they, they were expecting Jesus to come back in days, maybe weeks, months at the most. you know. And so they, what did they do? They sold everything. They, they, they adopted a communal life. But you know, when months turned into years and years to decades and decades to centuries, I guess the church began to realize, yeah, well, Jesus' return isn't just around the corner. Maybe communal life isn't the best for us. But they still, they still met together. They still disciplined themselves to meet together. They made this a spiritual priority in their life. But like all disciplines, it takes commitment. It takes you deciding. It takes you working. It takes you choosing to discipline yourself, to gather with God's people. And in time, just like all the other disciplines, Christians began to not do it. So the author of Hebrews says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as is the habit of some, but all the more encouraging one another, especially now as you see the day of his return is drawing near. Encourage one another to what? The verse before that says that. It says what? It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Or to another place, it says to encourage one another to acts of love and good works. So those followers met weekly. They met weekly. They met daily, actually. Uh, but, but But in time, the scripture says they met weekly. And so, you know, I think that's a good place for us to begin. It doesn't say meet weekly. It says don't forget to meet together. And it says the sample of the early church was that they met weekly. I think that's a good place for us to begin. In fact, the Sabbath principle in the Old Testament was to be a day of rest and worship. So meeting together as God's people once a day, is, I mean once a week, is, is I think how we should discipline ourselves for godliness. Unfortunately, this discipline of gathering together, like all the other disciplines of godliness, it isn't practiced regularly. Why? Because it's hard, all right? Today we find believers gathering together. You tell me. You tell me. Uh, No, I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I don't want to play 20 questions. Today the, the, the standard of gathering together is convenience. You understand what I mean by that? Hey, if it's convenient for me today, I'll go get with God's people today. Where the standard of, of, of gathering together with God's people in the scripture is one of discipline. It's one of commitment. It's one of decision. I am going to discipline myself to gather with God's people for the purpose of encouraging them. And so I, I tell you, all the disciplines are like this. We read our Bible when we feel like it. We pray when we feel like it. We participate with God's people when we feel like it rather than making a discipline. Some of us have lost the discipline of gathering um, you're not being encouraged, and you're not encouraging anyone else either. A woman approached her pastor after, after the service. It wasn't me. It wasn't in this building. 
and said, I found your message so helpful, Pastor. And uh, he said, well, thank you. But I, he said, I hope you don't find it as, as helpful as you found the last one. And she goes, why? What do you mean? He said, well, the last one lasted you for three months. <laughs> so uh, uh, you get it, right? <laughs> and this new year, I want to challenge you to the godliness of gathering weekly with your brothers and sisters and, and, and being apart. And I, I, would, I would really like to challenge you to do more than that. I'd like to ga- challenge you to gather midweekly as well, but at least weekly on the Lord's Day. And the final discipline, the final discipline is, uh, that I want to highlight is the discipline of serving. Serving is a discipline because it cuts across the grain of our self-centeredness. Most of us would much prefer somebody to serve us than, than us serve somebody else. That's just how it is, right? And, and when there's no recognition in serving, especially when there's no recognition, we just don't really want to do it. But Jesus comes on the scene, and this is what he says. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's the goal? Godliness. What's godliness? Becoming like Jesus. What's the discipline? I should discipline myself to become a servant, to serve like the Lord Jesus did. Serving is one of those ideals I think we all embrace, but yet I I think we fall so short of what our intention is. And again, the reason is because service is work. That's what Paul says to the Ephesian church. He He says the work of service. I mean, serving is hard. It's work. Yet the Bible makes it clear, the Holy Spirit has given to you abilities and aptitudes and talents whereby you can serve him, his kingdom, and his people. Here's 1 Corinthians, Paul. There, is, there are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways the Spirit works, but the same God is working in all these ways and in all people. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So God saved us, and then he equipped us, and he put us together, and he said, now serve one another. Discipline yourself to serve one another. And the icons of our service are the, the towel and the basin. You know why, right? Because that's what Jesus did on the night before he's to be crucified. No servant there to wash feet. Jesus takes off his outer tunic and he washes the feet of his disciples. And he said, now go, guys, go do the same. And he said, this greatness is found in service. You see what your teachers is what he said. Do you not know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right. That's what I am. So if I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I don't think he necessarily means that literally. I think he means that symbolically or metaphorically of all the ways we can serve one another. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Greatness is about serving others. The spiritual discipline of service is you laying down your talents and your times and your treasures for others in an unselfish way. It's denying myself for others. And it's not denying myself for the recognition that others might give me. It's simply denying myself. And it's not so I can take some kind of moral high ground either and say, look at me, right? I do it simply because others have a need. I marvel, and I mean this and I'm not exaggerating, I marvel weekly when I watch a dozen of you come in this building, and I know I've told you this lately, I watch a dozen of you come in this building, nobody sees you, I see you, and you clean this building. 
and nobody sees you. I do. I marvel at that. I marvel every week when I walk by the doors of our Sunday school classes at 930 and I see the same people standing at the desk teaching us. I marvel at that, children and adults. I marvel when you slip me money. I marvel when you slip me money. And you say, hey, Jimmy, so-and-so needs this. Would you give it to him? I just want to give it to him anonymously. Would you do this for me? And I tell you what, I've had a number of you do that for each other. I marvel at that. I marvel at how you serve the Lord Jesus. I, I marvel. Let me, let me go a step further and say, I marvel when I watch you intently listening to someone else. Because you see, listening to someone is an act of serving them. I marvel when I see you do that. Not talking, just listening. I, I marvel when I see you holding the sorrows of someone and you hold those sorrows in such a way as to help them carry that. I marvel at that. I was a recipient of that. I, I marvel when I see you guarding the reputation of somebody else in our body. You know, that happened just the other week. I saw it. I saw someone guard the reputation of someone else and say, hey, that's not true. This is what's true. I marveled at that. I marvel when I see all these simple acts of kindness because that's what serving one another is all about. I'm, I'm challenging you to discipline yourself to serve one another. There are so many more disciplines that I could highlight, but those were the four that, that I asked the Spirit and you take that for whatever it's worth. Those are the four that I felt like the Spirit wanted me to challenge you with as we walk into 2024 tomorrow. I have a little poem I want to read you. It's called, Who Am I? Who Am I? I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper or heaviest burden. I will push you onward or drag you down to failure. I am completely at your command. Half the things I do, you might as well turn over to me, and I'll be able to do them quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must merely be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done. After a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I'm the servant of all great individuals, and alas, also uh, of all failures as well. Those who are great, I have made great. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a machine, though I work with all the precision of a machine, plus the intelligence of a human. You may, run, uh, you may run me for profit, or you may run me for ruin. It makes no difference to me. Take me, train me, be firm with me. I will place the world at your feet. Be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am a habit. I am a habit. You know, I don't think we could overstate this morning the importance of habits in our life. I mean, so, so much of what we do is a result of a habit. We eat a certain way because of habit, right? We, we drive a certain way because of a habit. We walk a certain way. We talk a certain way. Just about everything we do is, is as a result of a habit. And habits are either a stumbling block or they are a stepping stone. Stumbling block to failure or they are a stepping stone to growth, to greatness, to something good. Now, scientists at the University College of London, they did a study and they determined this. You may have heard this before, but they determined that it takes 66 days of continual practice to make a habit in our lives. In other words, if we do 60, something 66 times, 
daily. It becomes a habit for us. And we don't really have to think about it much anymore. We, we just, it's a habit. We just do it. You know, I made a habit of walking. And for over two years, I think it was over two years, I walked three miles. I'd go out a mile and a half. And when it was raining, I would call Ann and say, would you come pick me up? <laughs> but most of the time, I'd walk that mile and a half back myself, right? And, um, you know, I did that for over two years every day. And I, and I was thinking about it this week. You know, and I didn't think about it. I got up in the morning, put my sweats on, and went for my walk every single It was a habit. And I thought, what happened to my habit? You know what? For 66 days, I made a habit of not walking. <laughs> and and that, that became my habit. So as we begin this new year, would you make a habit of disciplining yourself? So in other words, what I'm asking you is, would you discipline yourself for learning and applying the Word of God? Would you start with the 66-day practice of that? Reading your Bible, writing something down, and memorizing Scripture. Would, would, would you do that? Would you make a habit? Would you discipline yourself for godliness? Will you discipline yourself to talk with God each day at a focused place in a focused time? And talk to him throughout the day, but a focused place in a focus. Will you discipline yourself to talk with God? Oh, I just read that. Would you discipline yourself to be a part uh, of at least a weekly gathering of God's people? Will you discipline yourself for that? Will you discipline yourself to serve the king? Use your gifts. Humble yourself. Care for others. Find a place to serve. Will you discipline yourself to the point of making habits so that your life will grow in godliness from now until the day you stand before Jesus and you find out how godliness in this life is going to be beneficial in the life to come? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Oh,